What is happening, guys? I'm back. This is Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 88.1 FM and KCOU.FM. I'm Chris Mitchell. And a lot of stuff happened between last Friday and this Friday. A lot of important stuff to talk about, but I feel like I haven't talked about football enough. So today is going to kick off the first of my college football previews. I'm going to start out with the SEC West, but before we do that, Got to throw up some props to the women's national team because they took home the Women's World Cup. That's right, just raking them in these past few times, which I feel like at this point we got to start calling them America's team because I feel like they fulfill, like, at least most of the parameters that people need for, you know, to be considered America's team. First things first, they won a lot. I mean, like, if you bring home that much brass, people get to start calling you... (laughs) People are going to start calling you America's team the more you win. So throw that up there. Second of all, you got to debauch a little bit. And I think they started drinking when they won and they have not stopped since they got on the float. Just a solid like few days of just, just partying and just going nuts. And I respect that, honestly. I feel like not a lot of teams just like go from like front to back just drinking like a fish. J.R. Smith might have when the Cavs won the title. But outside of that, once you get out the once you get out the champagne room, we win that title. It's more subdued. It's kind of unfortunate. And the most important thing is that they were not only were they playing for that World Cup, they were playing something bigger than themselves. Which, if you heard the crowd when the women's team won the World Cup, it was sort of like the post game, whatever. The crowd started chanting "Equal Pay." which is the big thing that's on, you know, everyone's minds if they care at all about, like, you know, the whole, like, co-ed sports sphere and, uh, not co-ed, but, like, the whole, like, sports sphere here in the United States, the pay discrepancies between women and men. And I feel like at this point, if you're able to bring home, like, I feel like this should apply for, like, anybody, but... The fact that they're still underpaid despite bringing home, like, that many World Cups in, like, a span of 20 years is kind of insane. It's like, why why are we having this discussion? Of course they should be paid more, at least as much as the men. Because they're out here not qualifying for the World Cup because they can't be Trinidad and Tobago. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Just pay them. Pay them what you owe them. That's more than what you're giving them. I think that's all I got on that. Again, shout out to them. Hopefully they get paid what they deserved. If not now, then very soon. Outside of that, got some NFL news. Just sneaking in there at the at the buzzer. Melvin Gordon told the Chargers, if you do not give me a better contract, like right now, I demand to be traded. Get me out of here. Let me go to someone who, you know, will actually, like, pay me, which is kind of, that's a sketchy, like, way to go about it because if you've been paying attention to the NFL, like, the past, like, two or three years, it feels like people are starting to pay less and less and less (laughs) for the running backs, and there's a certain amount of leverage I suppose they would have had before that to like maybe like get that contract we work but I don't think owners are in like a mindset of like 
breaking the bank for the running backs, which is unfortunate. You still need to have, I feel like, even as a Chiefs fan, you still got to have who, like, hasn't really been, <laughs> we haven't really paid for, like, a big name or, like, a top dollar for a running back since, like, Jamal Charles, so. I still think you need, like, a player who can, like, produce, like Melvin Gordon does, even if that means, like, you know, you got to open your pocketbook a little bit. So that brings me to wonder, what would be like the best fit? For, what would be the best fit for Melvin Gordon? And honestly, I'm not quite sure. There's a few places he could go. He could demand a trade to. He could demand a trade to Seattle. Their running game really hasn't been the same since Marshawn Lynch left. And I don't really know what's up with Rashad Penny. Their first round running back they drafted a couple of years ago. But I feel like the Seahawks could really benefit with someone like Melvin Gordon. The Steelers have a giant Le'Veon Bell-sized hole in their roster that they need to fill. And I can't remember if James Conner's still on the team or if he got waived or traded or something. I don't know. One of those things. But I feel like you still need someone who can be dynamic in both the running and the passing game. And Melvin Gordon can be that. I'm pretty sure he's caught a few passes. Full disclosure, I only watch Chargers games when they play the Chiefs. So I'm, like, operating on, like, half knowledge, maybe. Maybe Melvin Gordon catches passes. I don't know. But if he does, and I'm pretty sure he does, then I feel like the Steelers should, like, pick him up to fill, like, the sort of void left, not just by Le'Veon Bell, but Antonio Brown as well. Because they're, they're going to need that extra power, extra firepower if they want to compete in the AFC North, which is not something I'd ever thought I'd say. <laughs> I'd say. But that's the reality of it now. Because the Browns are popping. I haven't really played a game together yet as the quote-unquote new Browns, but I guess we can see where that goes. The Ravens, defense is always aces, but again, we still don't know how that sort of like newfangled, like improved Lamar Jackson offense plus Hollywood Brown is going to look. And then I don't know what's going on in Cincinnati. Does anyone know what's going on in Cincinnati? Anybody? Bueller? Nobody? All right, whatever. Anyway, so good luck to Melvin Gordon. Hopefully you get that bag, young man. And I <laughs> preferably somewhere outside of the AFC West. That would be great. Thank you. Moving on to the meat and potatoes of this football segment, we're going to do a little bit of an SEC West preview because I crunched the numbers and it would take way too long to do all of the SEC in like one segment or like one segment and a half. So I'm just going to start out with the SEC West, move from there. I'm going to move on to the East next week. And then I think I'll do one of the big conferences, like Big Ten, Big 12, one of those next, depending on how I feel. But anyways, starting up, number one, University of Alabama, I'm going in alphabetical order. This isn't, like, indicative of, like, how they'll, like, end up in the rankings. Just want to get that out of the way because I'm going to talk about Arkansas next. <laughs> and I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea of how I think about the Hogs because it's all looking pretty. But anyways, we'll get to that later. First up, offensive pros. Pretty much everything, really. Like, they're in a pretty good spot because Najee Harris and Brian Robinson are both beasts. They're both big. They're both fast. They're really... If people talk about Alabama reloading a lot, and I think these two are just the right guys to improve, like keep that run game, like, you know, you know, like good, actually. <laughs> like, there should be some, like, very, like, high level, like, running backs, which is something that this offense is going to need because a lot of it 
That's what the offense last year was sort of like also like predicated upon. Of course, you got Judy and Waddle. They're top two wideouts from last year. Jared Judy, just a boss, just a baller, shot caller. And then, of course, you got Tua, talking Vailoa. So you pretty much, outside of like Irv Smith, got everybody you really need to get offensive success this year. The only thing that uh, you might have problems with is like the lack of Jonah Williams on the offensive line. And again, the lack of Irv Smith at the tight end spot. So, and of course, the number one thing, which I'm going to tie into with like the keys to the season is keeping Tua healthy. Because what's your contingency plan if he goes down with some sort of injury? Because Hertz is gone. Went to Oklahoma. I mean, there's probably some, like, four-star prodigy quarterback they got in the back, but it's going to hurt if he goes down in, like, non-conference play. If Tua goes down in, like, non-conference play in some fluke accident or whatever. This probably doesn't happen, though, because he's really cool. I like Tua. But, yeah, if Alabama wants to be, like, wants their offensive fire in all cylinders like it did last year, it's going to have to, you know, you know, keep Tua, Tua healthy because I don't know what their backup plan is because I forget who their backup quarterback is because I know they, ha- they probably have one. Anyways, defensive pros. That secondary looks kind of nice. It's going to be a little bit of a battle at the safety spot, thanks to one Florida native Jordan Battle. Duking now over in that secondary spot. It's, they've improved a little bit, I feel like. Well, they got more experience, let's say that. This is a more experienced secondary squad. Yeah, they kind of let you know, teams like Georgia, Clemson, hang high on them like that. Which, you know, not optimal, but it should be a very like different, more disciplined, more experienced secondary than last year, so look forward to that. And, of course, over on the linebacking core slash pass rush, Dylan Moses Jr., just a heat-seeking missile. Like, this dude is about about it. Like, he'll probably get drafted in, like, the first round. Probably. Because it's, you know, Alabama defense. Defensive, like, concerns, I feel like that defensive line is pretty young. There's a lot of turnover, including, you know, missing Quinnen Williams, who's, like, one of, like, their best defenders. If not the best, like, their best defender. So, that's for a lack of experience up front, where they kind of, Alabama, you know, you know, dominating the trenches, like, being, like, just dogs on the off on the line of scrimmage. That's going to be a problem, especially if they have to play like Georgia again because their O-line is just, ooh, they're nasty. Oh, we'll talk about that at some point later. And so really their biggest schedule concerns, I think, are playing at Texas A&M and then playing, of course, always at Auburn. That's always a concern no matter what the season, no matter what the what the uh, records are because you never know what you get, what you're going to get with uh, with Auburn. But besides that, I wouldn't count on Alabama losing more than a game or, like, two. They're, like, your easy, like, college football playoff contender. Just, like, immediately just cross them off the board if you're looking for, like, I don't know. Like, Constance, you got Clemson, you got Alabama. Just 
just cross them off the list. Just get them out of here. Because you, you just hold their seeds is what I'm saying. Just, like, keep them cool, keep comfy, give them some water. Final prediction, if any go, if anything goes wrong, it's going to be in two places, two getting hurt, and that revolving door of assistant coaches. Yeah. If you paid attention to the national title game last year, if it looked uncharacteristic, I feel like a lot of that, or uncharacteristic of Alabama, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, and with the Georgia game, the SEC title game, to some extent, I feel like a lot of that had to do with a lot of those assistant coaches being one foot out the door, you know, getting ready to sign, you know, contracts with other schools. Nick Saban also got ghosted. I forget what his name was, but he just like dipped straight to Miami and did not, to my knowledge, did not tell anybody. I mean, he probably told somebody, but you know, it was very abrupt and very shocking that he just like whoop, just flipped right over to Miami. So those are like your big two problems. If you can like you know keep the coaching staff stable, keep to a healthy. Congrats. You probably you'll probably win the title. Good job, Bama. Roll tide. Up next, Arkansas. Well, here's what I'll say. That D-line and those running backs should be pretty sick if they stay healthy. Frankly, that's really about it. I feel like Arkansas is just like Arkansas is like a year or two away from like looking like a super duper solid football team. That's really my take on that. Not getting Kelly Bryant really stung. Losing one of their wide receivers really stung. I don't think they'll have that problem of, you know, not being able to generate pressure on the quarterback on the defensive side this year. Like I said, that D-line should probably be good. Their O-line should probably be fine. In case their quarterback gets hurt or they want to protect that quarterback. So anyways, there's that. Go Hogs. See in like a year or two. We can talk about more or get into get under the skin of the Arkansas Hawks football team. Up next, Auburn. Offensive pros. You got Bo Nix. He's pretty cool. You got a you got talented QB options to replace Jared Stidham. You got an experienced offensive line now. You know, they're taking some reps together last season, so you can expect, I guess, a market improvement in the pass protection and in the run game. But unfortunately, you're still Auburn. Banking on an intricate machine of lunch pail vets is going to be a problem. It's not, especially not just on the line, but at the skill position. To make this bad boy move is kind of impossible <laughs> if history's like correct. Auburn rarely works the way you want it to. Auburn is like that PlayStation 2 that you've had in like the basement for like 15 years. Like you like if you can get it to turn on you like you know the library. You know what you can put in there. And you know you can make that boy work. Cuz you got some classics on there. The bad news is you got Jerry rig it a little, <laughs> You got Jerry rig it a little bit to make it work even like remotely the way you want to. So that's going to be a problem I suppose or a blessing, who knows. Maybe they'll work. Maybe they'll punch above their weight class. Who knows? Anyways, good luck on that front. On the defensive side, 
Derek Brown. People thought he was going to go to the NFL this year. I kind of thought he was going to go to the NFL, but nope, he's back, and he's probably going to be All-American. Like, that's how good he is. This dude is a beast, and, le- and on top of that, the rest of the defensive line in the secondary should probably be fine as well. I guess the only, like, real concern is you have some inexperience at the linebacking core. It's going to be, be like, your big issue, but... Aside of that, I think it's just going to be another year where sputtering offense sort of like takes away from a pretty stellar defense. The schedule concerns, man, August, August through like that first October buy is going to be kind of brutal for Auburn because first up they got Oregon in Dallas. So it's not even like a home game really. And Oregon travels well, so that might be a problem. You got to go to College Station. Then you play Mississippi State, and then you go to Florida in Gainesville. They go straight to the swamp to play Florida. A rise in Florida, I should say. I mean, they just beat Michigan in a bowl game. I forget what the bowl was, but they beat them. Of course, not counting Tulane, Kent State. Oh, and then you got to play Georgia a couple weeks before the Iron Bowl. Final prediction. Who's ready for back-to-back fire Gus Malzahn years? I sure am. It's been a while since we had a couple of those. Up next, LSU. Good news on the offensive side. Joe Burrow is back, and he'll probably be better. Maybe? I mean, he completed 58% of his passes. That's probably, like, unsustainable if you're going off of, like, any sort of logical metric of quarterbacks getting better. On top of that, the rushing attack should improve with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and John Emery dominating the touches. So that should be fun. All those hype wideouts are back. The tight end situation, pretty solid. Justin Jefferson Jr., very explosive last year, if you want to call the LSU passing game explosive (laughs) at all. If he improves and Justin, if Joe Burrow improves and Justin Jefferson Jr. also improves, It has the potential to be a very deadly combination, which is something that LSU desperately needs to get by. I guess on, like, the lower end, that O-line kind of booty last year. It was not a super great offensive line. So they're going to have to improve, like, a lot if they want to, you know, you know help, like, Pass protection improve, like the run game improve. And then I feel like there's a question that is kind of like out there, but I'm just wondering, what does Joe Burrow's ceiling look like? Like, better than Zach Mettenberger? Maybe? I don't know. (laughs) That's like the problem. I'm like trying to like think. But, whew. man, of course, LSU never really had to, like, go out big and flashy and shiny for those, you know, quarterbacks. But I feel like we're, I feel like Joe Burrow, his talent level is, like, at the point where it could, like, hurt as well if he doesn't really improve. So that's going to be paramount to LSU's success, I feel like. Joe Burrow's got to improve. He's got to use all those weapons he's got because they're essentially, they're, like, the same ones as last year. So... Yeah, (laughs) 
come on, Joe. You better get it together. Oh, so there might be some problems. On the defensive side, Christian Fulton is back. He was sidelined by a foot injury last year, and he should round out a very talented quarter, cornerback. I almost said quarterback. <laughs> cornerback platoon that just subtracted Greedy Williams this past offseason as he went to the Browns, I think. I th- yeah, he got drafted by the Browns. And on top of that, Grant Delpit Jr. is probably going to be a top three safety in the country at the very least. I don't think he's going to be number two or three. That dude's an animal. I'm definitely going to be looking out for that. Defensive cons, that's really like the standout section of that defense. Nothing really sizzles, if you feel me. Pass rush and run defense should be good enough, but just so, I think. Week one should tell you all you need to know about LSU's run defense because they play Georgia Southern. Got an option team right out the bat. And then after that, you got Texas, Florida, Mississippi State. Those could get pretty hairy. But beyond that, that schedule isn't as bad as last year because last year it was just, oh. He just got dogged in the schedule last year. Shouldn't be too bad. They'll probably win at least eight games. If they go 10-2, and two, that'd be godlike, but eh, I'd cap them at like nine wins. That's, that should be about where LSU's at. A, a strong 9-3. and three. Mississippi State. Who's ready for some Mississippi State QB controversy? If that doesn't get your Johnsons moving, I don't know what does. Katon Thompson has the experience, and Tommy Stevens has the Penn State connection with head coach Joe Moorhead. If any of them can get that passing game going, which, I mean... I feel like any of them would be a market improvement over Nick Fitzgerald. It can take some pressure off of that defense, which it's still going to be pretty good. It's still going to be like top of like the country ish, give or take and takeaways, turnovers, yada, yada, yada. Even though they're missing guys like Jonathan Abram, Montez Sweat. My prediction, it should be fun in the Outback Bowl. Up next, Ole Miss. Uh, well, I think they're bull eligible now, right? I think the same. I think the sanctions were off, but unfortunately, they could not come at a worse time because that offense is reloading right now. Jordan Tamu's gone. DK Metcalf is gone. Hollywood. Uh, AJ Brown is gone. I'm gonna say Marquise Brown. Two different Browns. Just want to get that out there. So that's going to be unfortunate. Good news is your defense probably can't get any worse. Like the sheer inability for Ole Miss's defense to do like anything last year. That should probably change with experience. They've gotten from last year, I'm pretty sure. But unfortunately, they needed an offense that was going to hang points while that defense tried to figure out what the heck it was going to do this year. So, six wins, probably. Probably. So, so get in, Ole Miss fans, when you're pummeling some podunk team and like the cheese bull or whatever. This is what you wanted. This is what you were missing for all those years. How does it feel? Anyways, last but not least, Texas A&M, the Aggies. Good news. Kellen Mond is back. 
Plus, you got three six two two hundred plus pound wideouts from last year that are all back, and that core has the potential to be super duper gnarly. Cause I'm some big boys. It's gonna be a big boy passing game, which is gonna be fun. If you're Texas saying and bad news is that offensive line kind of cheeks, so improved play will kind of, of course. It's like, of course, improved play will dictate how well this offense functions. If they're able to keep the pocket clean for Kellen Mond, able to get him some good running lanes, not just for him, but for the running backs as well. Defensive pros, big fan of last year's pass rush. Even though, like, their top six tacklers are gone, that line is going to be extra super-duper crispy this year. Secondary, also not that bad. Guys, they got guys like Charles Oliver, Debo Renfro. I'm pretty sure the recruiting class is also pretty solid in secondary as well. So that should be a tight knit squad. Of course, like the big problem is, you know, losing your top six tacklers. <laughs> that linebacking core is also going to need to step up as well. They want to keep that same energy from last year. And frankly, their best defensive weapon right now is their punter. Not a super great sign. Of course, you should always, you should never be afraid to utilize your punter as a defensive weapon. If it's good enough, I mean, I think this guy won the Ray Guy Award, so. I don't know. Anyways, of course, none of this matters. None of this matters. Have you seen their schedule? Oh, my God. Okay, so they get week two. They got to go to Clemson. Then they got Auburn. They got Alabama at home. And for that last three-game stretch, they got South Carolina and College Station at Georgia and then at LSU. You take away two of those games, and you might have a 10-win season. But alas, <laughs> unfortunately, they just got dogged by a schedule that will completely overshadow any sort of improvement they might have made this offseason. Final prediction, God help whatever poor hapless like Big Ten or Big 12 team. That'll face the brunt of AM's pure frustration and righteous fury. Whatever mid-level bull they get stuck, they get trapped in there with him. With if AM isn't already like run dogged by then. That should be, you know, a fun. <laughs> uh, there's gonna be a lot of feelings expressed. It's gonna be a very emotional season for AM. I'll be excited to see. The ins and outs of that. I think that'll do it for this segment. Hope you enjoyed this preview. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some video game stuff that happened, some hometown stuff, uh, Columbia wise. But outside of that, you're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCLU 88.1 FM and KCLU.FM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. into undrafted for the best sports talk of the week catch parker reem i'm an above average packers fan but the bills are a very bad team I, they are utter trash and turner klingenmeyer definitely draft stuck up i'm going with coffee tables but that bears defense thursday mornings at 8 a.m only on kcou 88.1 fm 
Uh, this is James Brown, soul brother number one, always fighting. Now I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your life because if you use drugs, you better leave it alone. Drugs are contagious. They're killers. Every drug is a killer. Stay away from drugs. Drugs will take your life away. And if you want to live, stay away from drugs because they are super bad, super bad, super bad. Super bad, super bad, super bad. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harvey. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. What is up, guys? You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard here on KCOU 80.1 FM and KCOU.FM. If you're out of range, I'm Chris Mitchell, and we got some video game news to talk about. This also came in, like, right at the buzzer. I was surprised by this. Hot at the presses. Oh, we got a new edition of the Nintendo Switch. That's right. I What's it called? The Nintendo Switch something. Anyways, I, like, woke up, checked Twitter. Everyone was talking about a, like, portable version of the Nintendo Switch. I was like, wait a minute. It's already pretty, like portable right what could they have done introducing the nintendo switch Lite, which it's pretty it looks pretty cool i like the colorways they got it comes in like yellow turquoise i think gray i think there's going to be like a pokemon sword and shield version of it but anyways to deal with this thing it's like the nintendo switch Lite is like a handheld version of like handheld version only like this boy cannot connect to the tv whatsoever but you still play the switch games i guess it's more for people who are like always on the go don't really play their switch docked especially for, or like you know probably for kids because if you look i'm looking at this and it's very much reminiscent of like i don't know an ipad you give your kid to watch mickey mouse or whatever like long car rides it's definitely got like one of those vibes to it very like leaps or chic, I suppose. Then I feel like the thing is, I feel like a lot of people could be into is like the Joy Cons. There probably won't be any like Joy Con drift issues. Because that's always been a big problem with the Switch is that like there is some input lag between like the Switch and like the Joy Cons. Joy Cons built into the console. You cannot take them out of the Switch Lite, so that's going to be a positive, probably. Probably won't do see much. Probably won't see too much after that. And the best news, at least for me, they got rid of those dumb directional buttons and they got themselves an actual D-pad. Which, oh, oh boy, I didn't know how much I wanted a D-pad on my Switch until now. Because good lord, woo! I feel like, of course. 
this is only like a thing because you can't like take the Joy-Cons apart and turn them into their own like controllers because it would be kind of weird if you had like an analog stick to like move your character with like that one Joy-Con and then a D-pad to like do the rest. That'd be kind of weird. So I definitely understand why they haven't really come up with a solid Joy-Con with a D-pad as of yet. Hope they do though. For me, who really doesn't care much about those like directional C buttons. It's also pretty small, actually. Like, I watched the trailer of it, and it looked a little bit more compact. The screen's like five and a half inches, like, wide. Or long, I suppose. As opposed to, like, how how big was how big was the Switch? I forget. Anyways. Like, yeah. That shouldn't be too much of a problem. At least, at least how I do it. It's like, it's kind of, I don't really play, like... My undocked switch a whole lot, at least in like handheld mode, because it's kind of clunky to work with. Because it's it's like, it's pretty big. You wouldn't think, but it'd be like if I like took my tablet right here that I got in my hands right now and try to like put like two controllers on the side of that and try to like work it. I think it's a little bit smaller, but still, it's kind of clunky. And I'm glad they're sort of like you know doing something like. I don't know, to make it more, like, handheld user-friendly? Yeah, that's what I'll go with. And I think the World on the Street is probably going to be, like, cheaper, too, than your average Switch because it doesn't, you know, come with, like, the dock. It's capped at, like, a certain, like, def like uh, video resolution. Doesn't plug into the TV at all, so. That could be fun if you're into that. If you're looking for like a handheld type deal, you don't know if you want like a 2DS or whatever. I don't know. That could be fun. Anyways, outside of that, I haven't really been playing a whole lot of like video games lately. It's been kind of like out and about doing stuff. Non-video game related, but I have been playing some Ghost Recon Wildlands. Which, <laughs> which is really fun. Played a lot of that on 4th of July. And what better game to celebrate the 4th of July with than a game where you play as a bunch of American Tier 1 operators destabilizing a Central American country? Am I right? <laughs> the gameplay is very fun. It's super fun when you're playing with friends. I'm lucky enough that I got, like, a bunch of people who like to play it. So we can just, like, I don't know, dink around, have some fun in that giant overworld, just collect stuff, do random missions. That's always fun. And... The thing I do now is just, like, just hunt for, like, collectibles for, like, weapons and stuff. Upgrades, things of that nature just turn my brain off. So, like, hop in a helicopter, look around. Maybe listen to, like, a podcast or something while I get that done. So, that's a pretty fun game. Big fan of that one. I, I actually have not seen any footage for that new Ghost Recon game. We're, uh, my friends tell me it, like, looks better. Like, they're adding, like, a bunch of, like, quality of life improvements. Which, good. I'm down for that. Because there's definitely some stuff that I would change about Ghost Recon Wildlands. There's definitely some stuff I wish they had. Man, I feel like my favorite part of Ghost Recon Wildlands right now is that I just got an upgrade for, like, one of my drones that allows it to, like, just, like, remote detonate. 
So it's uh, it makes it a little bit easier to like if you're like trying to infiltrate some like enemy heavy base of operations or whatever, and you have to blow up like X amount of like I don't know like cocaine vats or whatever, or like a laboratory or whatever. You could just send that thing in there and just go boop, and then let's take care of all that just right off the bat. So that should be fun. And then I think to like wrap that sort of like deal up, you got. Actually, some new Pokemon news, which I also like slept through because <laughs> they, they keep dropping trailers while I'm trying to sleep. That's not really cool. Like, come on. I want to be awake for that stuff. Anyways, they introduced a few new Pokemon. I think the interesting thing they're doing now is they're kind of switching up how the, uh, what's it called? The Pokemon League works. They're doing it as a sort of tournament style, a la... I suppose Champions League is like the closest equivalent I can think of. I'm wondering if it's if it means like we're going to get like a super like serious like boss rush because Elite Four up to the champion is already like sort of like a boss rush. But I'm trying to figure out if like they're going to like ramp that up a little bit or something. I don't know. Hmm. It's very intriguing. And they introduced, like, the guy who's, like, in charge of, like, the... I, I even forget the name of the region. Uh, like, who's ever in charge of that Pokemon League? And, man, that dude looks sketch. He's got, like, a nice suit. Slick back hair. Very much, like, one of those... Like, Euro Club owner guys. Like, I don't know. He look out here looking super suspicious. Because we haven't really seen, like, an enemy team. Or anything like that. Or anything of that nature. So that'd be interesting. I think to wrap up the segment, we're not going to talk about video games. <laughs> That's right. We're ending this with some, with some UFC news. Because Mizzou's own Ben Askren. Ben, in parentheses, funky Askren. Kind of got his dome rocked in UFC 239. <laughs> that fight didn't last long at all. It lasted like at least six seconds. So the match started. <laughs> it was a TKO in one round, five seconds. Jorge Masvidal just hit him with the Sagat Tiger knee, and then he was just down <laughs> just immediately. Bringing Askren's record to 19 and one, but that one just hangs heavy because because that's like a flying knee, uh, like round one knockout. Which oh, that's pretty embarrassing. And then afterwards, Masvidal was like, "If I ever see that dude in Whole Foods, I'm gonna beat him up again." It's like wow, that's very disrespectful. This guy does not like him, not one bit. Which I guess that's like the energy you kind of got to be on if you want to be like super good at UFC or whatever. I feel like in any like mixed martial arts type deal. <laughs> I was like watching like a replay of like the thing on Twitter. Uh, like I watched a video of it. I was like, oh, so yeah, I'm going to see how that's like, oh God. Oh no. <laughs> this immediately it's like, no. It was off the rip. Like, oh. Uh, 
Ooh, I felt that. Go watch the video if you haven't already. Even if you have, watch it again. Because oof, 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 the doofa. Let me tell you. Oh, I think with that, that's going to do it. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this segment. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA. Some big news. Some big baller news. Some big splashes. I think the sort of like, the sort of like, uh, what's it called? The off-season landscape. We'll talk a little bit about that. When we come back, you are listening to Course Circle Backboard. I'm Chris Mitchell. Do not go anywhere. We will be right back.
KCOU Sports Saturday. Tune in right here on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia for all-day sports talk starting at 9 a.m. Cap off your Sports Saturday with coverage of Mizzou football from the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. Don't just Saturday, KCOU Sports Saturday. Today's episode, Rattlesnake at the Pond. Oh no, a rattlesnake! Sassy, help! <coughs> you will, but first you want to talk about shelter pets? <coughs> the majority of pets in shelters are there due to owner-related issues like divorce or allergies? Save us, Sassy! <coughs> what, Sassy? You wish you were videotaping this? Sassy! Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Make sure to start your week off right by listening to General Emission on KCOU 88.1 FM from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. every Monday morning. I think he's wrong, though. You're, it's a heartless move. and disagreeing on the same topic. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing that it wasn't a smart move. I'm just not disagreeing with Anthony Davis's dad either. Once again, that's General Emission from 8 to 9 a.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM for the latest updates from the MLB, NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. You're listening to 881 KCOU Columbia. Yeah. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Quarter Circle Backboard. I'm Chris Mitchell, delivering to you the sports that you like and the video games that I like here in this final segment, this hoops-related hoops segment. And, oh, boy, was there news to talk about? Not even two days after I last spoke to you. Kawhi Leonard, out of nowhere, shocking everybody. Announcing that he was going to sign with the Clippers. Not the Lakers. Not the Raptors. Not the Knicks. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately for me. The Clippers. His terms for signing with the Clippers? Get Paul George. I want to play with Paul George. So that's exactly what the Clippers did in a blockbuster trade announcement. Very late on Friday night. The Thunder announced that they traded Paul George to the Clippers for a couple players and for future first-round picks. Anyways, that's not important. Actually, that will be important, but we'll get to that later. Now the Clippers kind of look like a super top seed in the West. Like, even if, like, just Kawhi Leonard signed, they were already going to be a pretty good team because they got some solid role players, very good defense. Doc Rivers, great coach. But now they got Paul George. 
So that changes the metrics of this whole, like, Clippers experiment a lot. Because basically what you do is you take an eight-seed team, eight, like, eighth seed in last year's playoffs team, and then you give them Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You take away, like, the bite of the Golden State Warriors. You maybe account for the Nuggets maybe regressing back to the... Back to the mean a little bit. Maybe you don't think the Blazers are going to be that hot. Maybe you think the Jazz are going to be competitors too. But just so, really. That's one of those things where it's like, I got to see it to believe it. And then you throw, and then you get, and then you get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the same team. On the clip, on like that same Clippers eight seed team. Granted, uh, Shea Gilchrist Alexander is one of the guys being flipped. Gallinari also being flipped over to the Thunder in exchange for Paul George. But outside of that, man, who's the competition right now? Like the Jazz, never count on Golden State. As long as Steph Curry's around and Clay Thompson also around, Draymond Green still around. Never count them out. I feel like the big question on everybody's minds right now is how is that going to shake out against a team like the Lakers, who really, really wanted Kawhi Leonard, who kind of got punked by Kawhi Leonard a little bit. Kawhi Leonard kept him on the runaround a little bit. Just, you know, you know, just like holding their hand, like keeping them along. While slowly but surely all the other good role players were also free agents here, just kind of got scooped up by different teams. <laughs> Knicks. <laughs> so that's where we're at right now. Of course, the Lakers did make some solid signings in the wake of the Kawhi experiment kind of breaking down on them. They signed Danny Green. They signed DeMarcus Cousins. They signed Avery Bradley. All those guys, very good players. Troy Daniels, pretty good shooter. Brought back Alex Caruso. Brought back Rondo, JaVale McGee. Really, the only place where I think they overspent is giving Contavious Caldwell Pope two years, $16 million. But I feel like that's just going to keep happening. For some, for some reason, Contavious Caldwell Pope is going to keep getting this, like, is going to keep getting ludicrously overpaid. Not ludicrously overpaid, but, you know, overpaid enough to where you're like, huh, really? He's got that money? Can Davis Caldwell Pope get all that money? Anyways, at the end of the day, you're still looking at a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, plus some shooters, which that, I mean, great. if they stay healthy, that could be a very, very deadly team in the playoffs, but... I feel like we'd also have to, like, everyone's going to be like, oh, man, injury risk. It's like, if you look at the Clippers, <laughs> like Paul George, like, that dude just got done with shoulder surgery. He just got some work done on his shoulders. Kawhi Leonard, even with load management, his he looked kind of, even while he was winning that MVP, just kind of looked like, oh, oh. You look kind of worn out. So I don't know 
what the deal with that is going to be, how they're going to like situate the load management there. But I do think that team is like deep enough to like actually do something about it. Like to, you know, keep him under wraps because even if Kawhi is like not in there, you still got Paul George, still got Pat Beverly. You still have enough there to make that perimeter defense really, really good. I think that's going to be the key for this team. It's just that defense, that, that two way ability. It's like play defense really well and shoot really well. So that's where the Clippers are at. It's a really, it's a fun experiment. I'm very excited to see where it'll go. I'm not giving them to the keys to the West just yet. Just like I don't want to give the keys to, you know, the Nets just yet. Because, you know, they're still going to play actual, like, basketball first <laughs> together. To, like, you know, see how that works. And if they're about uh, just about as good as we hoped or expected, then shoot, the West and East might be theirs for their taking. So that's where the Clippers are at. On the other side of this trade. So Sam Preston, he got himself some picks. Good for him. Till like, he's got his and a bunch of other teams' picks till like 2023, which shoot. I didn't want to start scouting for that. You just like go to like middle school like games. Like what do you do? <laughs> like what do you do? You have all that for you have all that knowledge of like picks. So what do you what do you do really? I mean, that's not to say like people can't like kids can't pop up and look like really good and then press you be in a really good spot, but of course who's to say they won't be out the door in like three or four like four or five years anyways. Because Sam Presti likes him, likes to shift himself around some stars. Like, oh boy, there's nothing more than he, there's nothing more that Presti likes to do than to take his stars and then push them somewhere else. <laughs> I can't even comfortably say, oh, but not Westbrook though, because even then, both Westbrook and the Thunder are exploring trade options for Brody. So he might be going somewhere. Probably not till the deadline, but going somewhere nonetheless in which, I mean, there's a few teams. Westbrook could go. Timberwolves is one of them. But I think somewhere, I think I heard or read somewhere that Wiggins, like the Timberwolves are not willing to swap Wiggins' contract for Westbrook, Westbrook's contract, which just boggles the mind, really. I'm just like, huh? Really? You sure? <laughs> You get multiple. You get multiple guesses. Are you are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you don't want to get w rid of a Wiggins contract? There's the Heat. You could probably flip around some players to make that work. Get something in the numbers. You know what? Pfft, shoot. After December fifteenth, the Knicks could do something. They could put a package together. Maybe ship around. Ship out one of the like a few of those like. <laughs> A few of like the six power forwards they signed this offseason. They could like send some of them. It's a pick or two that they heisted off the off the Mavericks or whatever. Maybe sent maybe throwing someone else. Maybe like a point guard for Russell Westbrook. That could be fun, actually. 
I don't see it like going anywhere deep in the playoffs. <laughs> if Westbrook got like thrown onto this Knicks squad, but who knows? That could be a really fun team, and I'd be I'd be down for that. This team isn't going anywhere in like the next two or three years. Throw Westbrook on there, and then just don't sign him back. I feel like the bit. Oh, oh my god, I almost forgot. Okay, so the deal with the Kawhi Leonard contract is he didn't sign a four year like max contract. He signed a three year one hundred and three million dollar contract with an opt out in twenty twenty one. Which means that when free agency hits 2021, Leonard, Paul George, and Paul George would all be free agents in a class that's filled with like, in a market that's filled with like LeBron James, Giannis, Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard, Blake Griffin. So, oh boy, <laughs> that's going to be super duper hairy. But man, if I'm like any team, I'm like looking at like, mm, cap flexibility, please. Need some of that cap flexibility. So it makes me kind of glad that all these players that the Knicks signed this offseason have player options around 2021. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun for agency. I can't wait to like for them to like not sign anybody big with any max slot. That'll be cool. Always down for that. And so outside of that. I guess, like, the bigger splashes were, like, of course, Al Horford signing with the 76ers. I can't remember if I talked about that last week. I don't think I did. That was pretty big. Man, that Sixers squad looks, like, big and threatening, but also I'm, like, looking, like, like who's shooting that three-pointer? Like, <laughs> like where's the sh – I'm trying to – I'm looking on the Sixers roster. I'm trying to find the sharpshooters. Like, where are they at? Where's that three-ball coming from? This is it's not coming from Ben Simmons. Toby might come from might come from Tobias Harris. Al Horford, I trust to shoot the three ball more than I trust Joel Embiid to take all those shots. But I don't know. Jimmy Butler's gone. So that's going to be a so that's going to be a concern. JJ Redick also gone. So a team that already struggled with spacing a little bit is gonna have a little bit of a harder time, I think. You know, trying to give Embiid, Simmons, Horford, etc., like those clean lanes, all that jazz. But man, they're probably like the favorites to win the East at this point. I feel like they're like the most complete team out of all those like East teams that got big over the soft season. So that'd be something. Celtics didn't really get worse per se. Didn't really get a whole lot better. Got Kemba Walker, but that front court's gonna be a big problem. Especially now that they don't have Al Horford. They got Enos Cantor. So that's good. <laughs> Aaron Baines and pretty much, I think. So that's gonna be a problem. Which should be fun nonetheless. Kemba, this like a baller, shot caller. Been a big fan of Kemba past few years. So it's it feels good to like see him on a team that's actually like worth something. <laughs> that has like actual talent around him and not just like like bloated contracts for like mediocre players. So I'll be good for him. I'll be rooting for that. Speaking of 
Speaking of that, the Hornets, oh, so they didn't really want to put, pay Kemba Walker that extra $3 million to keep him on the team for that max contract. So, you know what? They were like, let's just sign Terry Rozier. It's like a three-year, like $52 million. Terry Rozier to three years, fifty-two million. Was it fifty-two? It was. It was between fifty and eighty million. But anyways, oof. They got a lot of work to do if they want to like resemble a competent franchise. I feel like, because man, that's a lot of dumb contracts they got. And for what really? Maybe they'll look themselves into a lottery to like a top lottery pick. I don't know. I guess we'll find out at some point. Let's see. Um, what's my spot? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Warriors got, De- got D'Angelo Russell in a sign in trade, <laughs> which I mean, okay, sure. I mean, D'Angelo can get buckets. That's, like, been proven. The surrounding talent in Golden State is probably better than what he had in Brooklyn. Definitely better than what he had in Brooklyn. But, man, ooh, if I'm Draymond, I'm, like, icing my knees every day because, ugh, that's a lot of defensive slack you got to pick up. Since Clay's not around, KD's not around, Boogie's not around. You do have Willie Cauley-Stein, though. Willie Cauley-Stein, very good. Big fan of Willie Cauley-Stein. But, yeah. Man, I'm already just like, oh, just sweating already, thinking about all the defense you're going to have to play. Good news is, you won't be short on buckets, though. So that would be fun. That will be good for you. And I think with that... That should just about do it for this edition of Quarter Circle Backboard. Of course, we will be back next week with some more hot, fresh news, hot, fresh takes, all that jazz next Thursday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time here on KCLU, 88.1 FM, 88.1 FM, KCLU.FM. That's the right one. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Chris Mitchell. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will see you guys next week. Uh-huh. I beat the pot like those who beat Mike and Jermaine. What came my life, what came my thought, but they smoking the same.